Hello, and welcome to Uncommon Intuition. I'm your host, Christy Hansel. Well, guys, I'm going off the cuff today. I had three other episodes planned, but none of them sat well with me. And so here we are with this new direction. Today, we're going to be talking about creating sacred space. In particular, creating sacred space to do spiritual work. The first question we're going to address is, how do you protect yourself when you're doing psychic readings? And my belief system is different than most people, only because one of my core beliefs is that I am divinely protected. I truly believe that, and therefore I am that. And this quote from Lisa Freeborg actually kind of summarizes how I think. Lisa says, I would say that only what you fear do you need to protect yourself against. You had no fear before you were told that you ought to be fearful over something, correct? So you were fine. For me, it's all about the purity of intent. If I do the reading out of love and for the highest good of all, I am automatically protected. I believe this to be true and my faith safeguards me. Do you see how all of that connects? Now, if you followed me for a while, you have heard this story that I'm about to tell you because I'm a very visual person. This is the way I put it to other people. If you are a garden hose that is hooked up to a spigot and the spigot is turned on, all the water flows through that hose and there is nothing that can come into the hose because there's such force of water coming out of the hose. Therefore, there's no need to worry that something negative is coming in. So it's kind of in line with what Lisa says. If you are doing a reading for the highest good and you have pure intent, then you don't have the ability to take on the negative stuff. However, I will say that if you are transmuting energy, if you are providing healing messages, if you are releasing trauma from a person's aura through your messages, it can be a little draining on you physically, mentally, emotionally, especially as an empath. It's really draining on me afterwards. It's hard for me to disconnect sometimes. And therefore, there are some things that I can say can help with disconnecting from that after a reading. First things first, you're going to want to make sure that your tarot deck or ruins or whatever you're using to help assist with the reading is cleansed, that it is free of energy, it's been stored properly, you've meditated with it, you've kind of set a blessing over it. The other thing that I like to do is to set up a white candle and say a prayer of protection. With the lighting of this candle, I call upon the divine white light to surround and protect me. I ask for my body, mind, and spirit to be purified and to allow the divine guidance of healing messages flow through me. I ask that these messages are for the highest and greatest good and interest of all. And when I blow out this candle, I can be assured that all the messages have been delivered to where they need to be, and I can disconnect and be set free. And so it is, and so it shall be. You can also use clear quartz crystals and things like that to amplify the energy around you while you're giving the readings. 
You can also set up your room with sigils. I know if you are into Reiki, they teach you how to use the Reiki symbols in each corner of the room to kind of set up that energy grid. You want to make sure that you yourself are in a good place to give a reading as well, meaning you're not tired, you're not dehydrated, you're not hungry, you're not already feeling depleted or in a bad mood. You want to make sure that you, as the conduit, is in the best condition to be able to continue doing this work. And then while you're conducting the reading, if you find yourself really second guessing, give yourself pause analyze the situation. If you're finding it hard to decipher or to interpret or you're uncomfortable and you're second guessing, it's time to maybe take a step back and say to your client or whoever you're reading for, you know what, I'm not comfortable continuing this reading right now. Or perhaps you need to set aside and be like, you know, I was going in one direction, but I have to stop. We're going to need to go in a different direction. Don't be afraid to take charge of the reading. Don't try to force things to happen. The other advice that I can give is when people want more information, you've given them the message, but they want some clarity. It's okay to go back and be like, okay, let me see what else I can get. And you give them some more. But if they keep digging and digging and digging, it may be time to pause on that reading as well. Because some people need a minute to soak things in. Some people don't want to believe what they're being told. And sometimes spirit does not have any more to tell. You gave them what you had. If you continue to dig, what ends up happening is that you go from a very channeled message to a very ego message. You step into yourself instead of letting things flow. Oh, I love the emphasis of the siren that came through on the background of that. Um, that's like major red flag. Don't go into ego. Why do we not want to go into ego? Because when you step back into yourself, you're using your own power. That free flow of energy is not going through you anymore. And you're going to start draining and depleting your own energy wells. Now, something that a lot of readers do is they put a ring of circle either under their tablecloth or on the ground around them in which they're going to be reading. Um, this just helps to contain their energy and keep it unobstructed from anything else. It's a sacred circle. If you don't want to have salt everywhere, you can put some Himalayan salt, uh, those salt rocks, salt lamps on your table to have near you as well. Now, after a reading, saying another incantation or prayer to be grateful for the messages that came through and to also ask that they continue to be delivered afterwards and for protection of you and that person. You can do that. After the reading, you're going to want to cleanse the tools that you worked with. So if you're using tarot cards, you're going to want to kind of smudge the deck or clear it with crystals or send Reiki to it, energy healing, whatever, just cleanse the tools of the reading itself. And you're going to want to put them away as well. You don't want to necessarily leave them out in the open. You want to be like, okay, thank you for your job. And now we're going to close up shop. And then after that, you might want to cleanse the space in which you did the reading. You can cleanse the space similar to how you set it up in the first place, but you can cleanse it with sound, smudging, incense, light, 
energy healing, whatever you feel called to, to kind of cleanse it and say, okay, we're done here. We're closing up shop and be done. Now, the very final thing you want to do is kind of cleanse yourself. Again, you can do that with smudging. You can do it with an Epsom salt bath, with um, a selenite wand. You can do some grounding techniques as well. I'm going to switch gears just a little bit, and I'm going to talk about creating sacred space within your home, a space where you can go and you can get re-energized. You can go to heal. You can go to meditate. And it can be a space that's neutral, free of any other energy, something where you can kind of go to ground, to disconnect. Spaces and objects people, places, and things, <laughs> they all have xing qi and sha qi, or yin and yang, good and bad, positive and negative energy. And a lot of us go throughout our daily lives and our space around us really takes on an object permanence where we don't pay attention to it. It's just background noise. But there are things in that space that subconsciously affect you etherically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, all of those things. And that's what I want to talk about. And you're going to say, oh, Christy, you're just going to talk about tidying up and the Marie Kondo method. And yes, it is a little bit about that. But I want to talk about what gives energy and what depletes energy. You're wanting to create a sacred space and it doesn't have to be a complete room. It could be the corner of a room. It could be a window seal, wherever it is. This is going to be your space. You want to take note of what's in your space, the furniture, the lighting, the colors, the objects. How do these things speak to you? Take a moment and really feel the space. How's it making you feel? Claustrophobic, happy, joyful, messy, disorganized. How is it making you feel? The first step that I take whenever I try to create sacred space is look around to see the things that are broken. I can't tell you how many times something has been broken and I've put off fixing it. Either A, I didn't have the money to fix it, I didn't have the know-how to fix it, or it was just one of those things that I'll get to it one day. But meantime, every time I use or look at the broken thing, I am reminded that it's broken. That's depleting the energy. That's feeling like, oh my gosh, I don't have the money to fix it. I don't have the time to fix it. I don't have the knowledge to fix it. All of these things of don't, 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 that depletes. So try to fix the things that are broken. The next thing I do is I look around the room on what no longer serves me. I can't tell you how many times I've walked into my closet and I've seen a really expensive piece of clothing that I bought thinking one day I would wear or it doesn't fit anymore or whatever reason. And I haven't gotten rid of it. Why? Because I spent money on it or I haven't worn it yet and I'm going to. It makes me feel guilty. So every time I kind of graze across it with my eyes, I am getting this quick hit subconsciously about guilt. So get rid of it. It's not serving you. It's actually depleting you more than it's going to give you joy if you ever wear it the one time. I have another instance of things that sap my energy because I've kept them around too long. 
in my basement, I had a pile. Yes, it was a pile. Yes, it was on the floor. And every time I would round the corner from the stairwell, I would see this pile staring back at me. And it's a pile that contains things from my other house. It had things that maybe one day I'll, I'll switch something out and use it or not. But it also had energy from previous relationships and things that didn't work out and how difficult those items were to style with in the first place. And I've kept them because maybe one day my son will want them or somebody in the family will want them. And I finally said, enough. This is baggage. And so I decided to bless them and say somebody else is going to really enjoy this and make use of it so that it's not sitting and collecting dust. So I had to let these things go. And even when I was taking it to the donation center, my husband said, but Christy, these are nice things. Are you sure that you don't want to keep them? And I said, yes, they are nice things for someone else. They are no longer nice for me. They haven't been nice for me for five years because they've been sitting in that pile for five years. Anyways, I digress. Now, don't get mad at me when I say the next thing you need to do is probably dust, probably vacuum, maybe wipe down the walls. You want to get that energy moving and stirring, and that's one of the things that you can do to do that quickly. Now, why do I say dust? Because dust represents stagnant energy. Think about it. It's settled on things and it has sat there for how long? It's not moved. That's stagnant energy. That's Shaw energy. It represents procrastination and even sometimes difficulty in making decisions. So I'm sorry, you're going to have to dust. If you don't like dusting frequently, maybe think about getting an air purifier because it'll help remove some of those dust particles for you. Let's all breathe a little bit easier when we get rid of our dust. Please hang with me. It's not going to be completely about decluttering and cleaning. We are going to talk about some other things. Let's talk about how chi enters your home. So it enters your home through your front door or the door that you walk into frequently. It can also enter through the windows as well. And then how it moves about your house really depends on the layout and how the furniture is laid out as well. Let's think about how you move about your space. Are there trip hazards? Are there things that you have to kind of dodge around and skirt around to get through or to get to the other side of the room? Those things can potentially block the chi and the energy that's moving around the room. So having open pathways where you can get from one thing to another is going to help that flow of chi. So rearrange your furniture, Go ahead and get those trip hazards out of the way or those piles of things up off of the floor as best as you can. That way the chi can move around the room. What I do find with energy in a room is it takes on the inhabitants and the objects, the energy of the objects in the room. So if you have a person that's in there that's an angry person or is always upset, uh, sad, whatever it is, happy even, whatever emotion they emit the most of, that room will collect that energy. And what I find too is even when we have energy moving about in the corners of the room, that's where energy really gets stuck. 
in the corners and in the dark places. Things that go untouched is where energy really collects. Now, if you can't really rearrange things or you're not wanting to clean or do a deep dive into things, maybe you want to add energy to the room. And the way that you can do this is by bringing in live plants, adding a fan or adding additional light or perhaps a pop of color, something that ushers in new vibrant energy or creates its own energy. One of the ways I do this is I open up the window and let some fresh air in, I let the natural light in, that sort of thing brings in the positive energy and it helps that stagnant energy kind of disperse as well. Now at my other house, I did not enjoy opening the blinds and the curtains and things like that because I always thought that my nosy neighbors were looking in and trying to see what's going on in my house. So I didn't do it very frequently, but I did try at least for five to 10 minutes out of the day to open it and get some light in there every now and then just to kind of liven it up. Now, if you don't want to do that, then obviously you can just turn on every single light in that space and leave it on for 15 minutes or so, and then you'll feel a little bit lighter, a little bit brighter. Another thing you can add to your space, we talked about this earlier, was adding some crystals to your space. Now, be beware. I have an episode on here about crystal shapes, so maybe refer to that on what type of crystal shape you want to introduce into the space to create that certain vibration. The other thing you can do, I said earlier, was cleanse with sound. I simply go to YouTube and type in Tibetan bells and let those play while I'm cleaning house or doing this work of creating a sacred space. It really takes the energy to the next level. Another thing we already touched on was smudging. What I really like about smudging is that when our ancestors were doing it, they didn't know what they were actually doing was antibacterial, antifungal, anti-inflammatory, and of course it was a relaxant as well. So smudging has many benefits, not just spiritual, it also has health benefits. The one thing I'm really into these days is changing the atmosphere with smell, whether it's a wax melt or a candle or incense, whatever it is, it just creates a whole nother atmosphere when you have a certain smell in there. Creating sacred space really is just about taking stock of your environment and intentionally setting about to make sure it becomes a positive environment for you. Things that I tell people when they're trying to create their sacred space is objects carry their own energy. So really think about the items that you're putting into your space. Did this come from someone else? Was this part of another relationship? Am I the first owner Pick up the object and hold it and really get a sense of its kind of personality, its energetic imprint, and see if it really belongs in your sacred space or if it belongs somewhere else. Creating sacred space is about empowering the positive energy in the room and removing those things that deplete the energy. It should speak to all of your senses and give you a feeling of gratitude, joy, and peacefulness. We all need a little bit of that right now. So try to carve out some time to take analysis of your environment and how it's really impacting you 
I don't want anybody getting overwhelmed trying to create a sacred space. If you are feeling agitated, aggravated, or overwhelmed, then stop. You got to stop. Do it when you're in the right frame of mind, when you are feeling positive that you're doing it for the right reasons and that you're excited about doing it because it's just as much with the intention and purpose behind creating it as it is actually doing the actions. And listen, you do not have to go gung-ho. You do not have to do all of this all at once. You can just do one thing whether it's removing that one object, that one outfit, if it's dusting, if it's vacuuming, if it's opening up the blinds, do one thing and see how that impacts your space and makes you feel. Happy creating. Up next, a card reading. Today's card reading is going to be from the Wisdom of the Oracle deck by Colette Baron reed I'm going to go ahead and shuffle and pull some card or have them drop on the floor. Hold on a second. Oh, nice. Okay. The first card that came out is Mending. Oh, I don't like the second card. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Let me get card number three here. Okay. Interesting. First card, Mending number 52 on it. It has two little fairies. They're sitting on spools of thread and it looks like they're working on a project together, sewing a banner perhaps. And I like that it feels like they're mending their friendship and their connection and they're looking for brighter things in the future. I also see that the clouds are pink and whenever I see that I always want to say, Red at night, sailor's delight. So no storms ahead, good things are to come. The next card, ugh, I keep getting this card personally, but I'm glad it's in the reverse position. It's called Chaos and Conflict. The card number is 33. On it, we have a zebra, but the zebra has giraffe spots on it that are flying off and revealing the actual zebra stripes on the zebra. This to me really symbolizes what is non-negotiable. As you're discovering yourself and you're figuring out what is important to you, you also need to figure out the things that are non-negotiables. And if you're anything like me, I always know what I don't want first, which will lead me to what I do want later. I never know what I want right off the bat. I tend to go through experiences first where I've decided that these are the things that I most certainly do not want, which will inevitably lead me to what I do want. Anyways, the next card is by the book. The number is 11 and it has three elephants. It's like big, medium, and small elephants. And they're walking through, it looks like a desert, but the floor also looks like a chessboard or a checkerboard. I think this card is saying, work with what you have, move the players and the pieces around until it becomes something new. You don't need anything else. You don't need anything outside of yourself. You have everything you need right here, right now. I kind of have a story, a parable, if you will, about this in my personal life that happened this week. It was a big aha moment for me. So Thanksgiving's around the corner and I wanted to create a Thanksgiving tablescape. And I do have fall decor, but 
I've really been thinking I want to switch it to more traditional fall decor because my decor right now is just like blues and greens and I want it to be yellows and oranges and browns. So anyways, I was looking at stuff and I decided, nah, I'm going to get some new stuff. I get on Amazon, I start putting things in my bucket and then I go to check out and I realize I'm like $200 in the hole at this point. Nope, I'm not doing that. I, I'm too cheap. I don't want to spend the money. I clear everything out of the Amazon cart and I take a moment and I heard my intuition kind of kick in and it was like, Christy, go around, gather all the fall decor that you have and put it in one place and then look at what you already have that isn't fall decor. And so I was looking at these items and I finally started rearranging them in a certain way and I came out with this beautiful design from a tray I already had and some greenery that I already had and it just worked really nicely. You can see it on Instagram, but my point that I was trying to make and the point that I think my intuition and higher self made to me was I've been trying to reinvent the wheel with my business and in my personal life with things. I'm always trying to like what's new and fresh and what can we change and what can we do without realizing I have everything I need here. I don't need to reinvent the wheel. Sometimes all I need to do is follow what's already there because it's the path of least resistance and you could be surprised by the end results if you would just apply a little bit of imagination. So I think that's what that particular card is speaking of, at least on a personal level, I know that's what it was speaking of to me. Up next, a meditation. like to read to you guys. So today I'm reading for the little book of meaning on why we crave it, how we create it. And it's by Laura Berman Fortgang. It's understandable that we want order, predictability, and to answer all of our questions. If we have these things, we feel more comfortable. Yet tremendous fullness, aliveness, and a different kind of comfort come when we learn to tolerate the randomness of life. If everything were linear and predictable, we'd come to a halt. There would be no creativity or evolution or growth. To live is to weave constantly between the known and the unknown. It is this feeling of wonder, openness, and curiosity that can give birth to so much as long as we can get comfortable exploring the vastness of the unanswered questions. Leading life in a meaningful way requires embracing the empty spaces, the blanks, and the vastness. Living in the gap, we find ourselves. Okay, since I'm feeling very talkative today, I had no idea that I was going to read from that book or even read that passage from that book. It's something, surprise, surprise, on my bookshelf that I sit across from when I record these podcasts. I was actually looking at my crystal singing bowls, thinking that I would play them for meditation today. Instead, I reached for this book and opened to a page that was already earmarked. Why this is important, I will tell you why it's important to me. 
is for the past two days, I've really been feeling the vast emptiness. I've been feeling the aimlessness of life and the unpredictability. I feel like I have no idea where I'm going, where I thought I was going and the direction I was heading in has changed several times and continues to evolve. And so I've been feeling very uninspired and listless. And for me to be reading this particular passage at this particular time really speaks to my soul because it's been something that I'm struggling with and to be reminded that this is part of my journey. This is part of what leads me to the next thing. Being in the unknown is necessary at this time. Feeling stagnant and being in the gap, so to speak, between this and that is exactly where I need to be. And it's okay to be here. And I think there's more than one person that might need to hear that. It's okay to be where you're at and feeling where you're at right here and right now. It's not comfortable. It leaves you curious, maybe even agitated, maybe even without hope. But this is part of your journey. You don't stay here forever. It's just a stop along the way. So not only did I receive a message that I needed, but I also have to tell you a little magic behind this as well. So when I opened up this book to this particular passage, something fluttered out of the book and it was play money. It's not monopoly money or anything like that. It's not to one of my board games. And I was looking at it thinking, where where did this play money come from? And I remembered uh, a while ago, my friend and I were working on our wealth corners in our home, and she had told me this story about her daughter putting a $20 bill of play money in her wealth corner when she explained what she was doing. And she said, the funniest thing happened in the mail the next day, I ended up getting a $20 check unexpectedly. And so she had given me the $20 play money, and I must have put it in this book. I I completely forgot about it. But not only that, the page that I read to you for meditation was earmarked with a deposit slip from my bank dated April 28th, 2016 for $1,000. I don't normally keep deposit slips and random books around my house, but I have to say, I think this is synchronistic and I think it's even more of a message from spirit to me because the message was so spot on for this particular page. And then also to have the imagery of wealth and prosperity along with it. I think it's more than just a coincidence. And so we'll see, maybe in a couple episodes, I'll tell you something magical that happened. But I definitely had to share these little things that happen along the way as I'm recording the podcast. Be well. Until next time.